Hi everyone and welcome to this week's The Recovery. This week I'm joined by the most amazing Katie Piper. Hi Katie, how you doing? I'm good, yeah, I'm happy to be here talking I'm to you. I'm so chuffed you're doing this. So chuffed because, you know, uh, your story isn't, you know, this is The Recovery and we talk about all things recovery and it's the majority of the show has been recovery from alcohol and drug addiction. This is something totally different. This is about trauma and recovering from trauma. Mm. Um, I think your story is so special because it's, it's one of such courage and one of such strength. And I will say strength because what you've gone through, what you've come through and where you are now takes real courage and strength. And I, and I want to talk to you about that. And I kind of just think it's really important that we get all the tea. Yeah, all the tea. All the, the tea. tea. Oh, so <laughs> what, what was life like for you growing up? What was your... You know? um, so I come from like village life down in Hampshire, right? And I had like, you know, lovely parents. My mum was a school teacher in the village. And then my dad was the local barber. So it was like you either got your hair cut by my dad or my mum gave you detention. Um, it was that kind of small life. And we grew up like playing in fields, playing in the farmer's field. And it was quite like cotton wool rats, really. Um, and me as a child, I was a tomboy. I was like really outdoorsy, like quite blokey and sporty. Um, I never wore makeup as a teenager at first. I wore like cannabis leaf earrings and Ralph Lauren happy <laughs> tops and like, Adidas poppers undone to the thigh. Like I, like I was really chavvy and like I would like pierce that bit with a safety pin, pierce my ears with ice cube and safety pin. Amazing. Um, yeah, like I was just a bit, I think I was just a bit bored all the time. And I was always thrilled. Like I was the one at school that had the older boyfriend that left school like six years ago that would meet me at the gates with a packet of cigarettes, like that kind of, you know, like you get the picture, yeah, basically. I got the picture, don't worry. <laughs> that, you're the type of girl that I would have been drawn to straight away at school. So, yeah, yeah. Not, not the parents, yeah. I think I was just always looking for the next best exciting thing. Um, but I did come from quite a hardworking family and I really enjoyed um, working hard, making money. So we set up like a car washing business and we were at school in the village. Then when I left school, um, I went to college and I worked in the Tesco. It was a 24 hour Tesco. So I worked nights, I worked weekends so that I could make money whilst I was still at college. Um, and I did hair and beauty at college. And then I became more of like a glam girl and more into like shoes, clothes, going out, that kind of stuff. Um, but still, I was quite ambitious. So I was discovering yourself at that point when you were. Yeah, yeah. It, I just kept evolving and, find, and because I'd lived, lived in quite a small town, there wasn't really much to discover or do there. And I'd kind of peaked by 17 and like moved on. Yeah, um, you, you'd, you'd ridden every tractor. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to, so I left college and I got a job in a spa as a beautician. And every month you'd get the same pay of 700 quid for the month. And I remember thinking, well, this is such a glass ceiling. Why don't I nick all the clients, like low-key, and start offering, like, door-to-door mobile and set up a business? So I got, like, a Ford Fiesta car. I got, like, a wax pot of Gumtree or something like that. 
Um, I was probably giving everyone hepatitis, like who knows. Um, and then I just started working like cash in hand doing this little business. And then it was good because I could have extra money. But I thought, do you know what? I need to go beyond this. So I'm going to go to night school and study anatomy and physiology. And then the certificate to teach the theory side of the MVQ of beauty therapy and massage. So I did all that and I qualified and then I started going to interviews as a lecturer for like tech college. But I was like 22 and then other people were interviewing in their like 30s and 40s. So, and it was around this time I met this guy at the college and he was studying um, and he was from London originally. And he's like, when I finish studying, you should come to London with me. And I was like, capital of England, Buckingham Palace. <laughs> nightclubs oh my god ministry of sound like and then and that was it and I, I left I went with this guy uh, we had like this really fun relationship it was like a two three year relationship but it, only the first year we really liked each other and the last two years were like I can't afford to live alone in London so convenience instead of a necessity right yeah but you know what? we're still friends now like, he's a great guy um and yeah, I came to London and I, once I broke up with him, I lived in a shared house where we all just rented bedrooms for like £150 a month. Um, and everyone who rented bedrooms in this six bedroom house were aspiring models, dancers, actresses, dancers in Shadow Lounge, like that, you know, all gay guys and like other girls. And so I just started going to auditions and I started working in telly. Um, not How many months a week were you going out at that point? There must have been... About 2006, 2007, around then. Yeah. Like, going out every night? Yeah, but never Saturdays and Fridays. Like, you know, month, weeknights and a Sunday, yeah. Used to go to Egg, you know, all these, all these places, right? So I had loads of fun. Um, and, we'd, and, you know, like I wasn't successful as in I never became famous. I never became established. But I made enough to pay the rent on my bedroom and go partying. Yeah. So... I, I would work on like shopping channels, uh, the roulette channel, the quiz show. And it was great because I could go out and then I could go to the studio and work like the night shift and stuff like that. And, yeah. yeah. And then we do a little bit of modeling, but you know, five foot three. So I wasn't quite like Claudia Schiffer, but we were just doing bits and bobs and it was fun. Um, and then it all came to an abrupt end in 2008 when I was 24. Um, but it had been a pack, you know, what I did in those years, some people probably don't do in a lifetime. Exactly. We squeezed a lot in, come on. Uh, so you said it comes to an abrupt end. How, what was the process of that abrupt end? Did you, where did you meet this guy? So one of the jobs I did was in the um, cage fighting world. So I was that round one, <laughs> round two girl. Oh my God, you've done it all. You cracked it. <laughs> I think I used to wear red lipstick every day back then. Yeah, I've got red lipstick in heels, right? <laughs> So we would like travel around with the fighters. We we do like Wembley Arena. Like we, it's really exciting, you know, really good fun. And this guy, it was before social media. So Facebook was around and MySpace, but nothing yeah. else. And if you wanted to go on Facebook, you went to an internet cafe or you had one laptop per rented house that you'd all plug into the wall, log onto your profile, then log out. You know, you wouldn't yeah. have a smartphone or anything. So this guy started Facebooking me and his profile was, he was a MMA fighter. And he was like, oh, we know the same people. I'm always at the events, always see you. So I was like, oh, cool. We're in the same circle. He's like, you know, let's go out for a drink. And I was like, well, I'm busy, but I'll probably see you at the next event when I'm working. Yeah. And, you know, sure enough, he was at the front. He had a table. He was like hosting some people. So I was like, oh, we do actually, we are in the same world. It's legit. 
anyway, after that, we went on a handful of dates. Um, like I wouldn't even class this as boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, we were dating yeah. thing. Um, and we went somewhere, I was driving, and we went somewhere for dinner in this hotel, like downstairs in the restaurant. And we had like a shot with the meal, and then we had another shot at the end. Yeah. And he was like, oh, you shouldn't drive, because I lived in North London at the time, in Golders Green, right? We were in Central. He's like, you shouldn't drive, because like, you're drunk now, and you've got your car here, and you've got an audition in Central at nine anyway. So why don't we just stay upstairs, and then you can drive to the audition in the morning. So I thought, you know what, okay, why not? And at this point, I know lots of people will be like, well, what happened next is your fault because you went up there. And, and that is how I felt for a long time. No, 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 that's not your fault. Well, you had a drink and you went upstairs. How does that make that your fault? You know, you've had been on a few dates. Most of, listen, a lot of people I know from my world wouldn't have even gone on the date. They would have gone straight upstairs. Do you know what I'm saying, So, but you know, for a for, for you to sit there and say, I know a lot of people say that. You know, a lot of people say a lot of stuff, but that doesn't make it real and it doesn't make it right. When you are slightly liberated in any sort of sense of way and someone tries to talk sense to you, and you think, you know what, that's quite a good idea. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't mean that you're going to go up there and have a fucking mass orgy or anything else. What it does mean is that it's a good idea. So, you know, I, I can say that. The naivety of me was, well, he's young and good looking and rapists live in the bush and don't wash. You know, that's mm. how my, my mind worked when I was younger. So he went up to the room. He tried it on with me. I said no. And then he became violent. And one of the first things he did to me um, was like push me with quite a lot of force. And I went backwards into the door where the dressing gown hook is. And I impaled my head onto the hook. And then I was unconscious. I fell to the ground unconscious with a, quite a bad open head wound. And when I, I don't know how long I was unconscious for, it felt like ages, but then when I came round, then obviously I was subject, I was raped, I was attacked. And, you know, it's funny because people know my story that I was acid attacked. And yeah. this side, people, I don't really talk about it. This side was actually worse in terms of it was prolonged. So we're talking, that was the evening and he didn't let me go till 10 a.m. the next day. So it was like a prolonged attack with, with a lot of injuries and very violent. Anyway, so when he did let me go, it was only because he'd only paid for one night. So housekeeping were going to come. Yeah. So we cleaned up the room together of like blood and everything else. And he made me take the towels that had all the blood on and stuff. And then he just drove me around London and wouldn't let me go all day. And he was just like par paranoid and worried. Eventually he let me go and um, I went up, told my housemates what happened. They were like, you need to go to the hospital because you're still bleeding. So I went to the hospital and then I had um, my head glued back together. I had some bruises in between my thighs and stuff that they photographed. And I just told them that I'd been moving a wardrobe and something had fallen off. And, and, hit my head and stuff yeah. and then that was it I just thought like do you know what I'm going to take a few weeks out of clubbing and everything I just feel really depressed and down yeah and um, I stayed inside the house for like two days and he was like stalking me but that in itself the trauma that you went through at that you know most people wouldn't get over that part of it do you know what I'm saying to you that's yeah. to be held hostage and then to be driven around London and then to make to be made to feel that it was your fault for, for going up there in the first place and everything that you went through, you know, the trauma of that, you know, uh, that, 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 that is so scary. 
It's so scary yeah. in itself. And also, I never ever would have reported that attack because rape is so hard. Like to go through the trial is so traumatic in court, but to get a conviction is like really like statistically impossible. Well, especially as you know, in your head, you took the towels, you helped him clean up the room. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, you know, usually explaining that to uh, to twelve people in a jury is not a nice thing to do. And then yeah. for them to suddenly start saying that you were guilty of it and it was your own fault, and you know, when you're cross-examined, I can see totally why you wouldn't go through with that. You know, also, it, it, it's not about just you reliving it in a court. It's about other people judging you on it and, and, and kind of saying, well, there's no smoke without fire. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And I kind of thought, do you know what, maybe I might even leave London because... Anyway, so I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, my head was in a mess. So he was ringing me constantly and wouldn't leave me alone. And after day two, he was like, look, I'll leave. I promised to leave. I was begging him to leave me alone. But I was yeah. saying, and I was saying, I promise I won't go to the police. And this was his main concern. Are you going to go to the police? Yeah, and I, I promise you I'm not going to go to the police. And he's like, okay, I've written you an email on Facebook and I just want you to read it. And I was like, well, we don't have any internet because we didn't pay the bill. You know, that's how we were living. <laughs> like, we did, we did <coughs> up our stick nothing so he was like Look. and I lived opposite an internet cafe so he was like go across the road and read this email and I promise you I'll never talk to you ever again so for me I was like oh finally I can get rid of this psycho like yes. so I left the house and um he stayed on the phone to me he's like don't hang up and I was like okay and I was just kind of like in a blur because I was just like I'm just gonna do whatever this guy tells me to do I just want to get rid of him so he's like, what are you wearing today? I was like, why? He's like, I just want to know what you're wearing. Tell me what you're wearing. And I'm like, a grey tracksuit because I'm depressed and can't be bothered to shower. Like, and he's like, so where are you now? I'm like, walking down the stairs. Like, and I'm just not, I was just robotic answering all the questions. Yeah, of course. Because, yeah, I was just like not myself, traumatised. Then this guy comes towards me with a hood up and like a coffee cup, but like, like locked arms with the coffee cup. So I was like, oh, this poor guy is like begging. And yeah. it's like, broad daylight really busy on our third screen high road so my handbag's on this shoulder so i turned that way to get the money out and then as i turn i'm like oh shit this guy has just thrown petrol at me and flicked a match at me because my whole body's so hot i'm on fire and that's what i thought had happened to me but in fact he had thrown a full cup of sulfuric like industrial strength acid in my face so it's like an age i was on fire so i'm like this all over um, and then, annoyingly, because it's London rush hour, everyone ignored me because they probably thought I was a crackhead. Because it's not visible like fire, you know? No, it's not. You, you, you do actually just look like somebody who's having like psychosis or something. Yeah, of course. Um, screaming and shouting and, and, you know, and it's, you know, as you say, it's London and it was rush hour. People, were, people just want, don't want to get involved. They want to run past it, you know, but happy to get involved once they've read about it and say, oh, you know what, I saw that and I didn't stop mm -hmm. because I had to go and take the dog for a walk. You know, yeah. all of those things, you know, is that's human nature not to get involved. Normally, now, if it was a fight, they would have got their phones out. And filmed it, yeah. Because also, like, me screaming like a banshee, that wouldn't be that odd in, say, like, Soho, some woman losing her shit, running around, you know, like, people would just ignore it. Um, so it's ages till I got help and then... That was it. I was in a coma. I was in hospital solid for three months, then go home for three, four days at a time, then back. And then really, you know, my last operation was six weeks ago. So it's been 12 years of uh, 
medical, well, psychological medical treatment. So, so after the attack and, you know, being in hospital all that time and actually coming out of hospital, as you say, going home for those three days, how the hell did you cope with that? Well, I suppose I didn't. Um, and there's no, like, quick answer. And I'm not, like, inspirational and I haven't got the key to it. I'm going to stop you there because you are inspirational. Whatever. <laughs> ever ever say that you're not inspirational just oh. you know talking to you makes my hair stand on end and you are such an inspiration in so many ways and you know you know that's you saying that you know we, we all do that because we feel less than in so many areas of our lives you go i mean we always feel like imposters uh, yeah. you know i do and i so i will i, I will kind of like say someone come up and tell me they love me although they love what i do and i'm like oh do you know what i mean because i i you know i up until about a year ago, I couldn't cope with that. Because mm, yeah. I was in such a place of trauma. So therefore, my head tells me I'm not worthy of that, of, of mm. that kind of love and that kind of appreciation. You know, but you are. Okay, uh, you are. I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah, please take it. What was your crutch? What did you use? How did you cope with it? So I did all the textbook stuff of like therapy, getting angry, smashing up my room, not coping, being horrible to my family who was supporting me. Um, but I suppose like, I, I have always been stubborn and ambitious and difficult. And I think I always felt like, who, who is man? Who is anyone to play God with somebody else's life? Um, and I knew all the intentions behind this attack. So I couldn't go ahead and give these people the end to the story they wanted. Um, and I do feel like it sounds like a big event in my life, but it was only um, one night in the hotel and a few seconds on the street. So it's not my whole life, you know, and, yeah. and I thought I can do much bigger things than them beyond this. And the only reason people think I can't is because I don't fit their ideal standards of beauty and femininity. And I don't really care because I never aspired to people's like run of the mill approval anyway. So I was like, this is just like a new life, but I've always steered that kind of shit anyway. So I'm yeah. sure I can make this my thing, you know, and make it okay, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, you know, as you say, it was 27 hours, basically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, whether you allow that to completely annihilate and uh, completely take over the rest of your life is entirely up to you. But what you've done is you, you've, you've come through that in such a strong way and you recreated your life. And the things that you do today, you know, with your programs and, 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 and the books and the documentaries and everything you, that you do, it's not about, oh, this is Katie, I, I, I had an acid attack. This is it's something mm -hmm. so much bigger than that. Do you go and say to you? And it comes from, how does someone, this is what I want to know, how does someone come from such trauma, find such strength to be so caring? Well, I think that's the cliche part, that it did give me purpose, um, because lots of people helped me, lots of people in the NHS, lots of people from churches, yeah. lots of random people with their own story of trauma. And they helped me for no reason other than being caring. And I was from a world where people only help you if you're rich and they want your money or if you've got status and they want that status too or they want to get on that list. Like I've, yeah, I've only ever been in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. So I was like, well, who are these people trying to help me? Why do they care? I've got nothing left. I can't give them anything. I don't understand it. And I was so touched by that side of humanity. And 
I thought, you know what, this is supposed to destroy you and it hasn't destroyed me. So there's going to be people after me that go through this who it might destroy and I know how to get through it and I can help them. Um, and also people started to put money through my mum and dad's letterbox because we'd done this Channel 4 documentary. Like they recognised the house and they put like tenors through the letterbox and my mum and dad like you can't keep that you're on disability benefit you can't stop <laughs> and I was just like oh my god so I was like okay do you know what let's set up charitable status HSBC account and just leave the money there and I, I'd had to go abroad for some of the treatment and I was like look if there's another asset attack in the news because they were really rare you know I was yeah. like the one back then as so we can give all the money to someone else so they can go abroad for their treatment and that's what happened and then we formalised it I had this random phone call from the PR woman at Channel 4. It was like, Simon Cowell wants your number. He uh, wants to talk to you. He's in your documentary. And I was like, oh, God, it's another psycho pretending to be Simon Cowell. I've had enough weird men in my life. I don't believe it. Yeah. But it was genuine. And I met him. And then he went into, he invested in my idea of a charity. And he partnered with me. And that was 11 years ago. And we've built a centre up north in Liverpool. We've right. got patients staying there now who we're treating so we treat them medically, but we also help them with relationships, career, CVs, socialising, um, and he's still involved. So it's incredible. Yeah. When I was a kid, right, when I was about nine, I think I must have been, or I had this fixation with fire. And I've shared it quite a few times about how I used to set fires to the house, right, all the time. Like, the, we, we had pampered grass in the living room. I would go up to it and think, oh, that looks like it would go up in flame. And with a lighter and light it, you know, and neck curtains and... Just random stuff. You know, I had this fixation and, and I would get those cans of Ronson lighter fuel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cans, and I would pour it on my hands and I would light my hands and see out and then put it out. And, and I used to do it and I used to hang around with my friends. It would be like our party trick. And then one night we were fire eating with it and I put it in my mouth and I spurted it out with a lighter and the wind blew back. But where, I, where I'd been putting it on my hands and I'd been wiping my face, my wow. face had petrol on it. So the whole of my face went up in flames. When you were talking, all I could think about was when you were talking about the acid burn, all I could think about was that burn on my face. If I hadn't have gone to turn to get the money out, yeah, it's the sight in that eye as well, you know? So it's, it's so lucky that I did turn to get my wallet. To look at you today, you're, you're absolutely stunning. <laughs> Seriously stunning. And to go from that, I mean, just the thought, like how you would get your head about how you're never going to look pretty again, how you're, no one's ever going to find you attractive again. Mm. You know, was there a stage at all that you turned to alcohol? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really hard actually because the most difficult stage was trying to return to an adult life. So when I recovered, I went back home with my parents, medical people were involved, and those kind of people, you know, they're not shallow, they're really supportive. And you think like, oh, okay, it's a different life, but it's one I can cope with. And I was returning to a professional life by running the charity, running the board. I'd, I'd had the book deal, I'd, I'd done a documentary, so I had like professional purpose. So I, with like when I made my first bit of money, I bought a flat in Chiswick. And I was like, oh, this is exciting. I'm going to go to Ikea and get a Billy bookcase. And, you know, it was like, independent. Yeah. And, but, it, but it was naive because, like, my friendship groups were, like, trying for kids, getting mortgages, getting married. And I was sort of, like, you know, just quite far behind. It was, like, regressing back to being a child. Really. Yeah, of course. And then I thought, okay, well, I need to go back to, like, being a woman. So I guess I need to date, right? And I wonder how I'm going to do that. And this is weird. And 
then that was when the realization uh, set in, it does matter to society if you look different and it is really difficult. And like, it was hard because, so like my appearance in a dark bar with like tea light candles is I'm thin and I've got long blonde hair. So like people would from the back approach me, drunk people would chat me up, people would even snog me, right? And then we would swap like BBMs, you know, when everyone had the black Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then guys would BBM me and like this one guy was BBMing me for like months, right? And, but we never met up because I, I was really busy. Like my career, I was going to America to make a documentary. So the whole time I kept in touch with him and we had this phone relationship where we'd ring good night, ring in the morning, like this proper phone relationship. And then he was like, oh, what, what do you even do for a living? So I didn't want to say about the book or the program. So I just said, oh, I work at a charity. Um, and he was like, and he knew my name was Katie, right? Yeah. And he was oh, is it a big one that I'd know? And I was like, no, it's a really small Burns charity called Katie Piper Foundation. And he was like, oh my God, he's like, have you ever met Katie Piper? And I was like, no. well, that, that's me. Katie's like, my name's Katie, isn't it? That's me. And that's it. He totally ghosted me. He, we, we no went from, way. He didn't even reply ever. We went from good morning, good night, every day, falling asleep on the phone together. So then I sent, I left it again, messaged me like, hey, you okay? Like, didn't hear back from you, nothing. Then I messaged again, like, have I upset you? And he just totally ghosted me. Uh, then I had another guy that I met. That one's um, probably still got his Blackberry, darling. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. He's probably still on his Blackberry now, <laughs> messaging people, do you know what I mean? Losing. But, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> never got back in touch um then there was another guy like we uh swapped numbers in clapham and we were out and then he texted, and i thought like this time i'm going to go out with them straight away because i don't want to prolong it and then they don't like me and then it's all like bad for my confidence so we met up and we kind of like he was at the table and i walked in and when i walked in it was really awkward and I was like, this is weird. I can feel it's a bad vibe. And I sat down and he was all like twitchy with the menu. And like, I was just like, oh, you twitchy weirdo, what are you doing? Um, and then he ordered like a drink and then they gave us like the food menu. And he was like, I'm going to go to the Lug back in a minute. And like, no, but it's like 16 quid drink, right? Yeah. So drink. And then he went to the loo and it was, it was a while while he never came back. He never, and I waited and I waited and I was like, this guy's gone. Like, and he's left me with the bill for two 16 quid drinks and I've just come off disability benefit. And he couldn't even like pretend, oh, my cat's still, I've got to go. Like, and I sat there for 30 minutes thinking maybe he's having a shit. <laughs> that human nature sometimes is so wrong. Just the fact that he, didn't sit there and say, you could see how much trauma you've gone through. Like, oh, I'll just do a leg it. I'll leg it. I hope he's really fat now and really unhappy. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? You? Which he probably is, because that's kind of, that kind of happens to people like that. Do you know what I'm saying? I, if I don't fancy someone, I stay for a drink because we might end up being good friends or colleagues. 100%. But, but anyway, so I'm not saying that those men turned me into an alcoholic, but those attempts to be normal and yeah. an adult woman's life it set me back and I had this naive confidence that kind of got a little bit kind of destroyed. Um, and then on my professional life, like we'd gone to the BAFTAs, the programme got nominated for BAFTA. Then I got a three year, uh, three book deal. And then I started working abroad and like, it honestly, like my career was so good and it was insane. So every time a project would do well, Channel 4 would send me a bottle of like Dom Perignon. Every time I won an award, I'd get invited to champagne receptions. And yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was bittersweet because I had nobody to celebrate. So always my plus one was either a PR person or it was my mum. 
because I had no one, no friends, no bloke, no one that wanted to come with me. So on the surface, it was like, how amazing is your life? Then I go back to the flat in Chiswick, a courier would knock the door, it was another bottle of champagne from the publishers because it was number one, Sunday Times bestseller. And I'd end up opening the bottle and drinking it alone and then walking up the dual carriageway towards Hammersmith to BP and buying a bottle of white wine, drinking it. Then I was falling asleep, clothed in the lounge. Then I was missing jobs. And no one ever knew, because you can keep it such a secret, alcohol. Because no you can do it in front of people. Because it's okay to do it. That's just it. It's, it's the, uh, you know, if you, go up, you know, if you leave the table to go and do a line, everyone knows what you're doing. But if it's okay to sit at the table and drink, yeah. you know, even if you've got a drink problem, they believe you have a drink problem, or yeah. even have, you know, an inkling of it, they'll still sit there with you and drink. Because they wouldn't yeah. be proven right. You know, it's insane. It went on for ages and I also had money so then I could go to the shop and buy like six bottles of champagne and drink them over two days or like it just and it just became really bad and then you'd start going to events that let people start drinking at lunch so then it would like in London it's quite normal isn't it yeah. you know no, um, and then it was like I just had this really horrible dark times where it was like at first the drink was good for confidence and to make me forget my problems and then I'd have these times in the flat where I'd drink and I'd start like um, ugly crying, you know, like hyperventilating crying. Yeah. And all this past would come out on my own, like talking to myself and stuff. Oh, um, it's not crying. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like an exorcism. Oh, it's, yeah, you know that, yeah. <laughs> Everything comes out very orifice, yeah. Yeah. And then it started getting dangerous career rise because then I started getting aggressive and rude to people at events. Then I went to like house festival and like kicked off and there were like journalists there. And then my PR lady was like, you need to get help and we can't. Just, that's the root of, of, of alcoholism. It literally really is. It's like, you know, we start off socially drinking, we start off drinking because we're depressed, which is, hello, the biggest depressant of them all is alcohol. Because like, I was like, am I an alcoholic? And then, you know, the woman I worked with was like, you need to go to alcohol counselling. And I was like, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. And, and I couldn't really see it. And it was like, I used to get a lot of bad flashbacks, a lot of bad dreams. Mm -hmm. I used to get a lot of insomnia because I'd, I'd play over what happened to me. And I had like a drink to fall asleep and it didn't work, have another. And then it was like, I can't sleep without passing out. Yeah. And then, it was always, then I realised I can only black out to get to sleep. And I was like, okay, maybe it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What properly stopped me um, was when I met my husband, we started sort of casually, it was like the days of blockbusters, we get like a video. <laughs> and then we'd get like just little drinks and food. And then I would turn really aggressive and start self-sabotaging and pushing him away. For no reason, there was no reason to row. And he was like, why are you trying to break all this up before it's even started? And yep. he was like, you're so nice, sober. And then you pick a row and you're so aggressive and confrontational. And it's, it goes back to what you said, that self-sabotaging and I'll hurt you before you hurt me. And Yeah, I don't deserve you, you know. I, I'm just going to, I'm going to ruin his life anyway, so I might as well do it now. Oh, now, yeah. A million times I've been there. But he was like, look, I really like you, but this can't, we can't move forward. That's not going to work. So you, I'll stay while you sort this out, but you have to sort this out. So then I was like, I have to sort this out now. So, and then that's when I sorted it out. So Amazing. Yeah. Would you drink today socially? Um, I have to be really careful because like, 
I can really embarrass myself if I get like lose control drunk. I can get really bad anxiety the next day and paranoia. Um, I can also get upset sometimes, but yeah, I'm not teetotal. I do drink sometimes, but mm -hmm. I'm quite a private person. Like I don't really go to bars and clubs. I just, if I do drink, it would be with friends in a house. Like, yeah. um, so you know your limits today. You, you get to that point where you think, okay, time to go home. It's time I don't go, I'm not having another drink now. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't go to a bar and drink shots with strangers and get drunk. Like, yeah, if I went to your house for dinner and I'd have some wine with you, you well, wouldn't mind my house, I'd make you drink oh, yeah. alcoholic drinks. <laughs> you don't do that. Yeah. We're going to be party tonight, we're actually, we're, we're, we're doing cocktails, but it's all non-alcoholic cocktails which taste like alcohol. Oh, okay. Liars, they're incredible, you should try them. And yeah. we're, uh, we're doing that, so everyone who's coming tonight thinks they're going to have cocktails, and it's like, we're not <laughs> taking them. <sighs> I mean, I guess that, that's the good place I'm in, that I can have a really good time without drinking. I'm okay with that. That's, that's recovery. And I think that that's testament to where you're at in your life. Also, like, this, is, this sounds like really anti-feminist, and I don't mean it the way some people are going to take it. But as a woman, I'm scared to get drunk when I'm out because whether it's a right or wrong, it makes you more vulnerable to attack. Honey, you have every right to say that from what happened to you and where you've been. Yeah. <laughs> I would never, you know, and I... I could probably say hand on heart, if what you went through and, and the, the repercussions of what you went through and over the years, I'd probably never go out of the house again. Do you know what I'm saying to you? The fact that you, know, you choose not to do that is, is, listen, that's your right. That is your right. You own that. You, you had that right. You really yeah. do. To go from... What you went through to where you're at now the, with the books, the programs, the list is ending. You know, I was really, really privileged when you asked me to do your, your podcast for Extraordinary People because I, I used to watch the program and I, and I listened to the program. And, you know, and it's kind of like it was like on my wish list as such. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was like there. I just thought, oh, I'd love to do that. Do you know what I mean? And then you asked me and I was just so blown away by that and so touched and well, I think, talk, you know, connecting with you on the podcast and talking to you, it's people like you and, and all the guests I've had on there, that they all have faced adversity. They, things have happened to them that should have finished them off. And it doesn't. And it kind of shows you sometimes that adversity can be the thing that allows you to triumph in life. And you become, you know, you, you don't feel as insecure because you become unbreakable and untouchable. And, you know, I'm not saying that if it happens to me all again, I deal, I'd be able to deal with it in the same way, but I feel really robust and whatever does happen to me, I'll, I'll be able to take it in my stride. And I think you just can't get hung up on other people's version of coping and other people's version of attractive. No, we're all different and we all have different coping mechanisms. And, and mm -hmm. you know, some, some people that would destroy that journey would have destroyed them. You know, for me, I, I use my trauma and my past trauma, my childhood trauma today to power me. It's, yeah. I, I use it like it, it's empowering in the sense of it doesn't, I, it doesn't control me anymore. It doesn't eat me up. I don't wake up in the middle of the night like I used to, crying because of what's happened to me in my past. Today, I, I sleep really well. And that's yeah. because I've dealt with it. And, and I continue to deal with it. And I think like you, Katie, when you help other people and you do what you do, that, that in itself is another power. Do you get what I'm saying to you? Because... I, you know, if I, someone DMs me or they, like, they stop me in the street and they ask me, oh, look, I've got my son, my brother, me, myself, you know, I've got this problem with drugs. I will give them all the time they need. And mm -hmm. you know what? I come away with that 
probably feeling better than they do because yeah. I get so much from it. I help just by helping and stopping. And you know what? If you, if you the moral of this story is, if you see someone screaming in the street, don't walk past. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A little caring hand, you know, because it, it that's what it takes. It's all it takes to ask someone, "Are you okay?" Yeah, and you don't actually know the the you know the depth of that and how much you could help them. I mean, just through the charity alone, we've been able to meet people from intensive care who now I've ended up going to their weddings. I've met their new babies. Mm-hmm. Like they've done the full circle. Right. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. Like I've I've finished reading Michelle Obama's book and yeah. you know, massive fan of hers. And she, you know, that saying that they go low, we go high. I feel like what happened to me is a, a person underestimated me, and that person, like, and that event inspired me so much. And it's it's so interesting that the evil in one can actually show you a whole new world, a whole new mindset, one you're missing out on. And and it inspired me to be a completely different person. And and it, and instead of destroying me, it, it was almost the other end of the scale. Like it motivated me so much to leave behind my old life. I questioned the fulfillment I was pursuing. I questioned every all my aspirations completely changed. Um, it was like radical in that sense. Where you are today probably is more destroying to him than what he got in court. The fact that you are such a powerful woman and the fact that you've come through it and, you know, you're stunning. And all of those things that you grow, you, you grow from the inside out. You know, you, you, you know, there's not a bad, one bad thing about you, Katie. And I kind of just think that probably is more destroying to him than anything because he wanted to destroy your life. And that, that didn't happen. That you know, it's really interesting you say that because I can hand on my heart, honestly say to you, there's no revenge in my heart at all. That's just it. There's this one thing to you, there isn't. You don't need, you know, you, it's beyond that. You've gone beyond that. Resentments, resentments kill. And when we resent something, we allow it to become so big and we give it such power that it destroys us. It doesn't destroy them. It destroys yeah. us. You know, my, my philosophy in life is don't be bitter be better well i think interesting you said that because like you know the title of this recovery when you go through recovery when you have therapy it's one of the biggest things isn't it you let go you 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 know you're not bitter there's no pity committee or anything like that and and that is very liberating and for all people that are like oh i wouldn't go to the counselor i wouldn't go to therapy what's the point in talking about something honestly it's so liberating and your shoulders become so light and you just live with like a sense of excitement and a zest for life, you know? It's just like a great feeling. And also like when something happens that's out of your control, you, it can, for some people it can make them feel quite trapped. But once you realize, oh, everything I do and how I react to this is in my control, then you start to get excited and you realize you're in the driving seat, you're the captain of the ship and nothing can go wrong therefore after that. Because you know, when we keep something in here, it becomes so big. It becomes, it becomes, you know, the size of a fucking Olympic stadium. But once it yeah. comes out of here, it becomes so small. And mm-hmm. you think, oh, you know, and after time, after you, the more you talk about it, the more you process it, the more you let it out and you, you don't let it define who you are, it becomes so insignificant. And you know what? And that's what you get through counselling. And that's what you get just by opening your mouth and, and, and talking about it. If you can't afford to go counselling or you don't have the means or the ways to get that, there's so many charities that can help you. 
totally like what you're talking about as well is it's basically shame and it's fear and i think for me i lived with fear and i lived with shame for, for a long time after and that was when i turned my corner of i'm not going to be fearful of the world and life and i'm not going to be ashamed of my story and how it happened i'm not going to be ashamed of my appearance i'm not going to feel unattractive but but also being a realist i am going to go to places where people are going to say horrible things about how i look i am going to be turned down by of course people. you are but that's human nature people love to say that's anything they want that's yeah that, that happens anyway i'm sure that happens to you that happens to you i get it all the time i get you know people go, oh, people love to be nice to you and then you're not like if you you know for some unknown reason you don't return a dm or something you get called faggot and it's just like oh please if that's the best you can do tell me something i don't know on a good day do you get what i'm saying to you well so like say for me if people insult me i'm like yeah i'm burnt i know i'm burnt and do you know what the burn like the burn works for me. I don't work for it. And like, it's a, like, it's a fact that like you can't hurt. I know who I am. I know what I'm not. And I know what I am. So you can't really hurt me with factual observation. No. No. Well, people say this stuff. I have a really good friend. What she said to me was, Tony, why do you, why do you buy into that? Play dead. Mm-hmm. And it was the best advice anyone's ever given me. Because you know, my, I love to react. Blah, 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 blah. But you know what? Action and, and reaction are two different things. You know, so I put in action by not even responding. Yeah. I'm not getting my power. Say what you want. Like, I care. You know, yeah. and, and they can't cope with that. I used to go up to this stage, but I constantly wear no makeup all the time, especially on dates, because I was a bit like kind of brush in your face. Like, this is it. This is who I am. Not bothered. Oh. Not going to have a second date. I'd rather know now. Equally, oh, yes. on holiday, I'd be like thong bikini because I have a lot of scars on my body. That thong bikini, show everything. So, like, you might as well stare on day one, and then when we're done, everyone's seen it. Everyone in the resort knows, oh, there's that girl. Like, and and I think that was the whole thing of doing public stuff like the programs was, I you know I wore a plastic mask for like two years. Yeah, no, I remember. I worked so much in those two. I did front cover magazine shoots in the mask, and I was like, well, it's kind of cool. It's quite avant garde, like, you know, and just. It is well, me. You know, the thing is, you owned it, Katie, and that's it. You owned it. Why should I pretend? I don't have to shrink, you know. So, and the same now with the eye. It's like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in a long recovery with my eye. So I just wear a false lash from like one eye, nothing on that eye. <laughs> yeah. Like just, just do. I mean, you know, I've got like cover sheets booked in. I'm going on holiday. I just carry Everything on. You just said is the recovery. It's yeah. the recovery, and you know. I just, I love you, and I think that keep inspiring, keep being you, it's incredible. It, it really is, and I'm just so happy that you did this for us, and you know, Aww. just, yeah. Thank so, you. you know, I've got, got all mushy, and it doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but, Which is know, we can hug, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you. You know, I just think, you know what? Just enjoy everything, every mm. moment. Just enjoy yeah. it. I do, and I will, and that's a good good ethos to live by. And keep making me laugh with your memes. I love it. You cheer me up every day. Uh, you know what? I try, I try my hardest. You know, I, 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 you put me in a really bad mood earlier because I had a meme blank. I, like, I couldn't find the meme, couldn't find anything, and I was like rummaging through my phone, and I was getting yeah. really angry, and I was just like, what are you doing? Just chill out for 20 minutes. No one, you know, there's not a time scale here. Do you yeah. know what I mean? When I see something funny and I repost it or I steal it from someone else, you know, it's all about timing and it's all about, I really love it when people get it and they come up to me and they say, you know what, you really make me laugh because laughter is such an amazing thing. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, honestly, like, that's one of the most important things. And you can do so much with that currency of laughter. Like, you know, like it sounds pathetic, but one meme I can see of yours in the morning could change how moody I was when I woke up. So it sets your day up. Right, before we go, one DJ question, because you know, it's what I do for a living, funnily enough. <laughs> Even though I'm like doing everything else. But uh, yeah, literally, one tune that would take, yeah, you would listen to at the lowest point of your life, or the, the go-to tune that you think, I'm going to put this on because this is so uplifting and so inspiring. What would it be? I think inspiring. Um, so I love Michael Jackson, which some people yep. find controversial, but I don't. Well, that's, that's their shit, not ours, yeah. yeah. So I really like the song, They Don't Really Care About Us. Because, Amazing choice, yeah. yeah. I, I guess it is more around race, but for me, it's around the underdog and people not really giving a shit about you if you're not elite and you can't do anything for them. And, and, I, and I love, like, he was very passionate. He was an activist, really. Um, and he, he kind of cared about those that were less than. So, yeah, the, the lyrics to that song. He's the only artist that didn't really constantly sing around relationships and sex. Like, he sang yeah. about many other issues. Um, then there was one, one song that really makes you cry. It's really sad. <laughs> it's a bit of a cheesy one. Is Mariah Carey Hero. Um, <laughs> no, isn't that sadder? But I feel like I've had so many heroes that have come into my life and helped me, especially my surgeon, my doctor. Um, and if it Amazing. wasn't for those people, I wouldn't be the person I am. So you, know, you have Mariah Carey heroes. I think you know what you 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 own that as well. I think you, you deserve <laughs> that one. Oh, I love you. Thank you so much. I love you too. God bless, sweetheart. Yeah. Bye bye. It's lovely. Okay, love you. Bye.